This week on episode 9 of the Dying Alive podcast. You could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. There's fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Rivers and seas boiling. 40 years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. And I think that uh, quote from uh, Ghostbusters uh, adequately sums it up. Uh, the penguins were good, uh, and now they're bad. That's it for today. See you guys next week. Yeah, it's, hey, we're it's, done. We're done. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jesse Marshall from The Athletic, joined by uh, Patrick Damp of the uh, Pens blog. Say hello, Patrick. Hey, guys. What's going on? And Mike Darnay of Pensburg. Hello. Just horrible. Horrible, Five terrible, bad, no good. Um, although, uh, you know, coming off of um, a loss to the Capitals that you really difficult to argue. Um, here's a fun fact. Somebody on Twitter pointed this out. I can't remember who it was. Uh, the margin of shot differential in that game uh, last night, Penguins Capitals, was the largest gap uh, of any game this season. And the Penguins lost. It was it was basically two to one margin because I believe Penguins had forty two shots, the Capitals had twenty two. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that was it. And you know, when you're in the middle of a five game, what was a four game skid, now a five game skid, there's no moral victories, and obviously the team has its issues. It's talked about everywhere right now, but one does have to believe if you play like that on most nights, you will win. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, well, 42, 22 in shots, but if you include shot attempts in that, it's even a bigger disparity. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and it, I was going to say... The, the rate gets gets out of control. Yeah, and I was going to say it's it's easier to swallow the fact that that kind of game you'll win on most nights when you're not in the middle of a five-game skid. Absolutely. That's what really, yeah, that's what really stings about it, and, and I think that that's why, although you know Jim Rutherford was... Obviously, super critical of of the team after the game. Mike Sullivan kind of went to bat for him, almost as like that that proud dad. wasn't wasn't Rutherford critical prior to the game? Because I remember seeing that story on my timeline during the game. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like Mike Sullivan comes in as the strong dad, oh, and is oh, like, okay, oh, no, okay, we're not, I got you. We're not going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's tough right now because, and I wanted to run this by you guys because I said it. Uh, yesterday during the game I know everybody is up in arms and upset and annoyed and has their takes and their opinions but I wasn't a fan of the line combinations the last couple games but what the way they've played you put those combinations together and it forces the team to simplify their game as a whole and I think they did that last night, regardless of outcome. And while they're not good combinations, when you're in a stretch like this, you need to get back to basics. Well, I think the same thing can be said for playing Casey to Smith. Well, and that and every metric shows you when DeSmith is in the net, they are a far more defensively accountable team. They have hung Murray out to dry left and right. And I understand everybody has their takes on Murray. It's the dumbest and still most ongoing debate for Penguins Twitter, but they play a more accountable game in front of DeSmith. So if you're taking on the champs in the midst of a skid, 
you're probably going to play the goalie that forces your team to insulate better. Hot take. Ready? I love hot takes. It's getting cold out. Gonna have to warm it up. Gotta gotta keep gotta keep warm. Gotta get your takes to keep you warm this time of year. You're not wrong. The Penguins are just a loose cannon when Murray's in net. Why is that? That I'm not getting into that. Spin zone. Murray's still not been good. No, he ha- he has not been as good as he needs to be. Goals saved above average. So if we plugged an average goalie into that position and just let him take the same shots, same scoring chances, he would be better than Matt Murray is right now. And that's a fair critique. It. I also will. Ca- that's, that, that's not. That's so like not even from like a personal opinion standpoint. That's just what like giving you the data behind it. Right. But I also okay. have seen the data that shows when he's in net. They let the opponent live in the high danger areas. Sure. And right. But so simultaneously, two things are happening. They're getting walked at five on five and they're not getting good goaltending either. Like that's not helping. So it's like everything. So think of it this way, really. Everything that could potentially be going wrong is going wrong at the same time. (laughs) Always, yeah, and, and, <clears throat> always a recipe and, for disaster. Say, even last night, I think Casey DeSmith was plenty good enough to give them victory. You look at the two goals allowed. One was the Oshie goal, fantastic pass from John Carlson. The first goal was uh, Ovechkin on the power play, and you wonder why the fuck doesn't anybody cover him in his spot on the power play. I think the build up to that goal last night, though, was the the Caps played it the right way, not taking away from the fact that they didn't cover Ovechkin in his office, which if you don't cover Ovechkin in his office, you're going to have a bad time. But they moved the puck fluidly enough to pull the Penguins out of position to create an opening for Ovechkin in that area. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a catch twenty two. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you if you send a guy to mark him, you're leaving four on three elsewhere. But I don't know. It just bugs me when you leave that guy wide open in that spot. Yeah, it's infuriating, no doubt. We got to talk about the um, fact that TJOC ran into Evgeny Malkin. Oh, I mean, let's give me let's a go, let's go. Break. We're doing this. Give, We're doing right. this. I'm, right, I've okay. been in a mood you about this, and I have takes. Yeah, I was going to say, go. Right. Um, please, I went first. Okay, go ahead. All right, so I am not going to go full Penguins fan here and proclaim from the rooftops that Evgeny Malkin is innocent because he is not. However, what he got, as we now know, was adequate. The five in a game, that's fine because he chicken-winged Oshi. As soon as you pull out the chicken wing and have that happen, it's worthy of a penalty and a misconduct. But to act like he sought out Oshi in a defenseless position and headhunted is fucking insane. TJ Oshi skated in from goddamn Arlington to try to hit Malkin and Malkin tried to brace himself and he did. And then he lifted his arm. So, and, and I will also add to everybody on Twitter 
Okay, I know it's not a place for nuanced debate, but for the love of Christ, stop bringing up Wilson. It has nothing to do with this. You're sitting in the cheap seats, screaming into the void. It's a different person. We know he's a piece of garbage. We know he's a predatory player. Stop bringing that up. What Malkin did was bad, but it was not at all as bad as people made it out to be. He got his five minutes. He got his game misconduct. We're good here. And for the love of God, get your concussion protocol in order, NHL. Maybe he passed. Maybe he didn't. But there's no way he took a long enough test in the locker room to come back that quick. Like, I've had my fair share of concussions, and I was either pulled and tested for an entire period, or I was pulled from the game, period. And I played bullshit Division II club hockey. He's in the NHL. What the fuck? That's really all I got. I, I don't disagree. I think I, I I'm surprised he dodged a suspension. He should not have. He did not deserve one. The reason I'm surprised he dodged one was the camera angle that showed his eyes looking to his right and seeing Oshi coming and raising the shoulder to catch him. However, we are talking about a guy who has a history of throwing those reverse hits and sorry, you got caught this time with somebody knowing you were coming and tried to do the same thing to you. Yeah. And Oshi has done that time and again, and so is Malkin and it doesn't make it right on either side, but just the, the fact that people think it was some predatory hit is baffling to me. Yeah, I guess uh, I don't have much else. I'm not as jammed up about it as, as you guys are. I also have an irrational dislike for TJ Oshie. I really do. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that TJ Oshie himself after the game was over said I do that like twice a night. Like the, the look behind and kind of, you know, be aggressive as a puck carrier and kind of throw the shoulder into the hit. Um, he said, yeah, it's like my go-to. So, yeah, I got to give him a shout for admitting that. Yeah, I, yeah, mean, I do think it was I, – I thought it was a little rich, though, that he mentioned that he doesn't care what happens with his suspension. Um, and sorry, Pat, I am going to bring up Tom Wilson. In this context, it's fine. Because there is an instance of a guy who also doesn't care what happens, what he does out there. Yeah, in that instance, it's fine. I mean, I mean, I know I said it a couple episodes back about people being annoyed that Oshie said he didn't think his teammate should have been suspended. But at the same time, like, it's like uh, Jalen Ramsey in the NFL. If you're going to talk that kind of shit, keep talking that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, now that that's over with. <laughs> um we talked briefly about the Jim Rutherford thing and, uh, you know, actions are louder than words, um, indicating that there could be potential moves on the horizon. It's just, is this just the old crafty man using some, uh, stuff out of the bag of tricks? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we've seen this in the past where he either goes on the radio, says something to a newspaper reporter, like a warning shot to the team in a way. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's a savvy general manager move. And I know that 
people have their critiques of them and rightfully so, but that's a good way to motivate a mostly veteran team, especially because a lot of these guys on the roster have been traded before. So you start planting that seed in their head of maybe I'm going to get sold again. Yeah. Um, There seems to be a culture right now. um, I don't know if any of you are Letter Kenny fans. You watch love, Letter. Love Letter Kenny. That scene where they're talking about um, Alberta beef. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They, they get into this conversation about how steaks should be grilled, um, and you think the nuance of the conversation is such that you know they essentially say that if you flip twice, that's overhandling them. Um, I feel like the right now though with the comments from Rutherford and, and what Mike Sullivan's kind of doing, I think in game and, and with the lineup overall, are they overhandling the stake a la letter Kenny right now? <laughs> oh man. Great reference. Um, I don't know. I, I, I want to say yes, but it's with the caveat that it is still early November. And I've said it on this show before. If there's any time of year to tinker and move people around, it's right now. And when you're in the middle of a skid, I don't think there's anything wrong with moving everybody around. I didn't like the breakup of the second line, however, because it was your most effective line, even in this skid. So I don't know. It's it's a tough question for me because I still give a wide berth to Sullivan because he seems to know what buttons to push and when to push them. Yeah, and I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. He has, but I also kind of I wrote about it when I did the the recap of the Devils game for Penn's blog. I, I want to address everybody that is pissed about Johnson, and I rightfully am too because he's not good. It's not a secret, but. When you go out and sign a guy for that kind of money, you don't bury him less than a quarter into the season because you have to experiment and find a fit. And if it continually doesn't fit, then you look to bury. I also would like to mention, while I am not a fan of Jack Johnson and he's not good, uh, I also feel like it's fair to point out when a guy makes a good play, his pass on Sidney Crosby's goal last night was phenomenal. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, like that's small potatoes for me. Like, honestly, it really is. Like, I, I think that the reality of the situation is, and I've pointed this out multiple times, there's just not a lot happening when he's out there. That's <laughs> it's low event right. hockey. And, and it's, it's low event hockey on a team that plays high event hockey. And, and that's, so, that's what we've said. And it's expected. So when someone is living up is not the right word because it's somebody who's not doing anything. But when somebody is playing to that expectation, what else are you going to complain about? There's other issues going on with this team that are far more pressing. Tons. Yeah. Work ethic, commitment to detail. Um, No secondary scoring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's really it. And Jim Rutherford said that last night, he goes, if the top guys aren't getting it done, you know, everybody else is looking at each other thinking, I'll let them do it. You know, he specifically he specifically called out Latang, Kessel, 
Crosby and Malkin. Those are the four players he mentioned by name that were like exempt. And they should be. I'm, I have a question. When's the last time Carl Hagelin scored on a breakaway? When did the challenger blow up? <laughs> oh man. Why do you have to he make such like, a dark reference? He had, he had four, maybe four good scoring chances last hold night. Hold on a minute. Let's stop right here because three weeks, hold on. Seriously. Cause four weeks in a row, I have forgotten to thank uh, the Penguin subreddit who like consistently plugs us when people ask about podcasts. Um, oh yeah. Shout out so, to you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to our penguins. Um, but I've been really into our space lately, the space subreddit. <laughs> no joke. I mean, some of the stuff on there is just mind blowing. Um, like, you know how there was that like viral story about the cigar shaped object that, that people were saying could have been a flying object. Yeah. No, I don't. They just shot that down. They just destroyed that. They destroyed it. It was great. Anyway. So, you know, this is especially dark for me now. I feel like, you know, these people have become my family in the last seven days and you just shit all over them. (laughs) Well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't so much a, a reference to the challenger, Disaster. It was more a Family Guy reference when I can't remember what somebody asked them. They're like, "Yeah, when the Challenger blew up," and they're like, uh, "And they oh, oh and they okay. go, yeah, no. like four years." Shame bef- on me then. Yeah, like oh, four God. years before that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, but, yeah. yeah I mean, honestly, though, last night he had the the scoring chance that cracked me up the most was the one where he was off to the left of the net with a wide open net. Oh, it was so his, bad. His shot, his shot ended up on the right side of the net. Somehow. To be fair, it also hit Holby's nub and then Carlson's <laughs> shoulder. So, in the same token, I, I have a theory, and I presented it on the Adam Crowley show this week. Um, Not a big deal. Uh, no, no, I just I want to plug Crowley. I think he's great. No, Crowley's awesome. Crowley's got to listen to a show. Um, I said that one of three things happens every time Brian Rust shoots. Okay. Can I guess one? No. Okay. Let me just okay. <laughs> let me present this. Okay. All right. One of three things. The first one is it hits the post. Right. Mm-hmm. The second one it goes in. Okay. The third one is it hits anything, anything. Items matriculate out of thin air <laughs> and deflect this these bucks into absolute no man's land. And, it, and it's uncanny, and I've never seen anything like it. Some guys just miss the net, you know? They take a shot, and it is miss. Phil it happens to Phil all the time. Brian Russ, no. He takes a shot, and the smallest little divot and piece of snow on the ice just shoots it up into the stands, and it, it, it strikes someone. You know, or like, <laughs> how many times has he, like, solidly hit the post? He did it in the Devils game on that shorthanded chance. He rang yeah, it. It's it, still ringing. And it, it wasn't the crossbar of the post. It was the connecting part of it. Yeah, it was all. Th- he literally hit both at once. The only thing that's worse than that is when you hit the, the crossbar and then it goes off the post or vice versa. Like my entire hockey career, basically. <laughs> I used anything that anytime I heard a noise, I put my hands up. I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, honestly, I, I uh, was playing uh, um, roller hockey up at the fishbowl in uh, Bridge, uh, was Bridgeville and uh, it was real small rink. And like you could play it off the wall. It was really weird, Pat. It was like arena football. I, I, I've uh, never played at it, but I've been to it. So, I, yeah, yeah. OK. So and I uh, offensive zone face off, uh, tie up. I come in, shoot, ding. 
I put my arms up. I'm like, that's it. I'm like, I'm, I'm pointing at the ref. Everybody's staring at me like I got two heads. I get back to the bench like a minute or so later. Ref comes up. He goes, dude. He goes, you hit the outside of the post. <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude. I was like, dude. You're out of your mind. I was in. I was like, it was, it was in. What are you talking about? Everybody's like, dude. It was like literally wasn't even close. <laughs> oh man. You know you gotta sell it though. Hey, if you don't believe in yourself, who will? Hey, I I, I never score. Like I don't I don't I'm not netting goals, you know. So anything I can, you know, I'm taking what I can get. Yeah, I didn't score either. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, I just in, ran in into that shit. instance. If you throw your hands up, they might just give you the goal. That's what I'm saying. A lot of refs are lazy and don't give a shit. Like you, you know, you could buy and sell a lot. I mean, it's just the way it is. You got to play the game. You got that fan. That's why. That's why I can't disrespect TJ Oshie for last night. <laughs> you got to get the phantom assist from the bench. Yeah, exactly. Rest skating by. 32. 32 on the assist. Yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you want to be real obnoxious, like, let me get the apple on that. I need that apple. <laughs> hey, hey, Doug, Doug, you're going to give me that apple. That's why you got to get friendly with them. There was a guy. Let me tell you a story. There was a guy. No, you know what? No. I'm not going to do it. I have one I, I, have one I can I'm get not, I can't because the identity would completely be revealed. <laughs> Suffice to say that I I one time, I, I can't even lead it. I can't even lead it. I, I, have, I have one I can give to you. Okay, go ahead. Wait, uh, the guy actually, he, if anybody who played with me growing up, they'll know who I'm talking about. Uh, he still refs up at center ice in Delmont. Uh, <laughs> there was a game when I was playing in midgets where a guy, uh, we were like, not running a team out of the building, but I think we went up like four or five nothing, and I was the alternate captain that year. And he skates by the bench and sees me right on the little partition by the penalty box, and he just goes, "Damper, you want an assist on that?" <laughs> and I went, "Yeah, I'll take one." And he was like, "Goal from ninety eight, assisted by 20. and I was like, "Yeah, there we go." <laughs> there was this. Uh, there was a ref we we had at Neville Island that uh, we used to bring him beers. Um, all the time, and you, you, you notoriously you could you could buy him for a six pack, and he would I, he would he call. Convince me to do anything for a six pack. Yeah, so he, you would, he would literally make a call, and as he was skating to the box, right, he'd look at us and make the motion to him cracking a beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! And he's still there, by the way. So I'll, if you're down Neville Island, I'll let you use your imagination on who that might be. <laughs> um, anyway, um. We'll get to the week ahead in a minute, but uh, we have some listener questions again this week that are obviously uh, we want to get to. So, uh, Michael, do you want to get angry? You know I love to get angry. I know you do. I do. Um, Do you you have a Roman Coke? I do. Okay, just making sure. I've been quiet, and for the record, I would like to note, um, I, I heard it. If you heard Ice Cubes at the beginning of the episode, that was Pat, not me. Just for the record, I, am, I was just saying, Mike, why don't, why don't you give everybody a jingle just to take us back to episode five? There we go. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm staying on brand for the podcast and having one as well. Mike, that's that sounds shaved. Is that shaved ice? <laughs> uh, it's melted crushed ice, which I think is the same thing as shaved ice. I, I could tell they weren't cubes, and that's the move of a pro. Thank you. Thank yep. you. I appreciate that. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. First question is from Jason. Um, and this kind of is on topic with what we talked about a little while ago. Why does Jim Rutherford acquire so many players that don't seem to fit his coach's preferred playing style? Mm. I assume one references to Jack Johnson. Another might be Ryan Reeves. 
Yeah. Um, uh, I would go with Johnson. Absolutely is a player that I have no idea why Rutherford went for him and doesn't fit. Reeves, I can forgive because he turned it into Broussard, but at the time it was not a great. Move. Nah, don't you can't judge it. You can't judge it in terms of the, what the reward was at the end. You why have not? to look at it. No, because because that doesn't justify the sign. Because if you do that, then future bad moves get excused under the same circumstances. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you, example, you can say example. How many times have you heard somebody say, "Well, I turned Rob Scuderi into Trevor Daly." All the time, <laughs> right? And that's a good point because that's what Jim Rutherford does. But you can't rely on that. I mean, I, I you know. Okay. Yeah. Put then it, again, yeah, maybe I'm yeah. underestimating how dumb. No, no I think it's are. I think it's fair to note that a general manager did a good job of rectifying a situation that wasn't good, but it doesn't excuse the initial fuck up. Yeah, and it it always comes back to the Travis Yost quote of identify the bad GMs, call them all the time. Yeah. So, um, so we didn't really answer the question. Yeah, what was it? Why does Rutherford <laughs> acquire players that don't seem to fit? I don't know. I mean, why why does he why does he also acquire players that he has a tie to in some way? I mean, look at his tie to Jack Johnson. And, yeah, and Matt Collin. And, and, he and Matt Collin, and he drafted yeah. Tesberry Kapanen. Why? Yeah, Sammy Kapanen was his dad. Well, but so Sammy or Sammy Kasperi Kapanen had far more upside than his dad. No, that's not that. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that, but there were, there other options that were better than him available. No, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you here. He drafted Sammy Kapanen because, or Jesus Christ, he drafted Kasperi <laughs> Kapanen because he was tight with his dad. Why did he trade him then? To get Phil Kessel. And that's I the think, correct, yeah, that's the correct and, answer. Yeah. And I think it probably wasn't working out the way he thought it was going to. Yeah, and, and the third answer would be he was the only good prospect in the Penguin system at the time. Yeah, it was the only thing you were going to net a reward for. Yeah. And I also, I, I do want to build on that real quick, is I saw... I. By the way, Ron Hainsey's another one. That was depth, though. You know what it I mean? It turned out, yeah, no, I mean... Yeah, and it, and it worked out well, and they, they let him go at the right time. That, rather than trying to bring him back. I think that was also a move at the time that I think, because he was acquired before it was announced Latang was going to be done for the year. And I think he, w- I think they knew that it looked like Latang wasn't going to be back. So yeah. they were just building depth on the blue line. No, but I'm just saying the relationship was already there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he wasn't being broadcast as someone who was going to be super available. Yeah. It wasn't a tart. Like, you have to actively seek that out, Pat. Like, you're not getting a phone call from down there from Ron Francis. Hey, you want Ron Hainsey? Like, they have no reason to get rid of him. Like, you, you know, so that's my point being is that there's this active seek out of, like, you know, X ties. Yeah, and that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah, I think that's it's, a good it, answer. Does it work out more often than not? Yeah, but it's, I'm just bringing it up. I mean, yeah, it's I, worth I, noting. Yeah, it, it, sorry, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it, that's the way it is. The one thing I was going to say, too, there real quick was I can't remember who it was. I saw it briefly in passing on Twitter today that somebody was saying that, like, the prospect pool isn't exactly deep for the Penguins. But that's kind of what happens when you've been a contender as long as they have. You don't get high draft picks. And when you do, you get rid of them. So it's the yeah. it's yeah. the cost of I doing mean, business in a salary cap world. 
like, would you rather have that first rounder or Phil Kessel? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Easy answer. Uh, next question is from Frank. Favorite forward and defenseman on any other NHL team to watch? This is an easy one. Okay. Uh, it's forward Nathan McKinnon, uh, especially after watch. And they actually, my, the two answers I have played last night, it was Nathan McKinnon and P.K. Subban. Jesse? Forward, Alexander Barkov. Okay. Defenseman. Brent Burns. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll change it. I'm not going to change it. <laughs> I, I also have Brent Burns as defenseman and forward. I hate that he plays in the Penguins division. Artemi Panarin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Panarin's... Man, that was a stupid fucking trade. Yeah. Uh, next question is from Morgan. It is a question for Pat. Oh, um, I guess it also could be a question for Jesse. I know it's not a question for myself. Uh, top three Bob's Burgers episodes. Uh, I don't watch it. Me either. So Pat, you name this one. yeah, I couldn't name a single one. Uh, number one is broadcast Wagstaff School News. It's the funniest episode they have. Right, I'm uh, watching it, and if it sucks, I'm gonna let you know. <laughs> number two. Don't waste my time. Number two Don't waste my time. is Christmas in the car. And that sounds funny. Number three. Number three is Art Crawl. Okay, so I have no context on this. Um, I'm not going to say I hope you're listening, Morgan, because I know you're listening. So you can take that up with Pat directly if you have any beef. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. At me about my Bob's Burgers takes. Uh, next question is from Darren. Favorite non-Penguins player of all time, and he notes that his is Paul Correa. <laughs> well, shit, he took mine. I um, I don't know if I could narrow down just one, but I will pick a player from a similar era who I loved, uh, Pavel Bure. Um, you also, son of a bitch. Shout, shout out to Candace Cameron while on topic. You stole mine. We're even then, because you stole my pick with Brent Burns. And I believe that's where we also say great minds think alike. If that's the way you want to spin um, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go, I'll go Joe Sackick. Yeah, I, I got to go with Korea. I mean, if, if off the floor, on the board, regardless of what it meant for concussions, doesn't get you excited, I don't yeah. know, man. Yeah, it, it's, it's... It didn't last night. Pat, it didn't last night. <laughs> was he ever? Was he really watch. on the floor, though? <laughs> um, I was say, it, it, it's yeah. crazy to watch that clip now, with comparison to how headshots did, are and everything. But but yeah, did I you can't see, disagree. Did you see? Shout out! Shout out to Garamond Titov. It's my backup. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the uh, the feature Sportsnet did on him last year about yes. all that? Where, mm-hmm. like, uh, the guy asked him, I can't remember which reporter it was, they asked him, like, do you remember the Stevens hit? And he was like, no. They're like, do you remember leaving the game? No. Do you remember scoring the goal? No. It's crazy. Uh, next question is from Kevin Reuter. This is a similar question. Who is the first player you remember hating growing up? Does not have to be hockey-related. Scott Stevens. 
Uh, my answer is because he was so good. I mean, that's also with Scott Stevens, uh, Eric Lindros. Damn it. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll, I'll let you go first next time, Pat. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. Adam Graves. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah, answer. That's, that's a better. Uh, that came first. I, I cannot remember where I heard it. Somebody said something like, oh, man, there was no more honest player in the league than Adam Graves. And I went, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that's a joke. I still hate him. <laughs> I mean, I'm never letting that go. Man. I'm never letting that go. You know who else is Cam Neely? Also, shout out to Jesse for the uh, Le'Veon Bell style upside down tweet last night. The all <laughs> yeah. Samuelson hit was clean. I had to Google how to do that. <laughs> uh, Matt Schaefer asks, as coach or GM of the Penguins, what do you do to fix this team and get more consistency from them? And he notes that tasers will not be permitted. What would I do? Um, I don't. I mean, you know what? One thing I wouldn't be against, and I don't know exactly how they would pull it off, is start bringing up a couple of the younger guys from Wilkes just to start sending a message to some of the older guys that your spot isn't guaranteed. Just to, so who do you bring up? I would definitely probably give Lafferty a look. Okay. I don't know for how long. Um, Militech as well. I think just bringing them up to kind of send a message in a similar way that they did in 2016 with Shiri, Kunakle, and Rust, where they kind of were like, eh, you know, if you're an older forward on this team, who knows how long you're playing here? Okay, so I have a, I have a question. This is not a listener question, but it's a question of my own that I just thought well, of. Can I, can I just mention Adam Johnson real quick? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, I forgot about Johnson. Okay. Uh, so, so my question, uh, what's up with Daniel Sprong? Uh, I don't know. My, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, the, the thing that's a head scratcher for me is that people keep saying this. Well, of course he's not going to produce with Matt Cullen. And I'm not saying Cullen has been good this year because he hasn't, but why is it other guys that play with them seem to do okay? I understand it's also a style thing, but if you're a dynamic offensive player, should you not be able to make that work? Yeah, and, and we talked about this in the past. Whether you're given eight minutes of ice time or 20 minutes, you need to take advantage of them. And that's what Sullivan likes. Younger guys who do what they're told and make the most, and he just hasn't. Yeah, and he just doesn't look right to me. Like, just at a very standard, regular level. It just, it looks it looks off. And the other thing is, his biggest asset is his shot. He's not shooting. Yeah, well, and he's not getting into opportunities to do it in the first place either, which is a separate problem, you know, in and of itself. Yeah, if he was getting a lot of chances and they just weren't going in, it'd be a completely different conversation. And that would also, if that was the case, he would also be getting more minutes and looks yeah. on different lines. If he's not doing that, he's not playing to his strength and earning more minutes. Yeah, so I don't know whether he'll keep getting scratched, keep getting traded, or keep getting traded, keep, keep traded, whatever. Keep getting traded. <laughs> traded for all, all of eternity. 
Uh, and that ties into the next question. Uh, he has two questions, so we'll address the first one first. This is from Tim Bowers, friend of the pod. Uh, Damn. Are, are Rust and Mata the pens most likely to be traded? I say no. I say no. I think the answer is Daniel Sprong. I think a dark horse for a trade is Haglin. He's on I a- think a dark horse for a trade is Ole Mata. Okay, so my question, would you package Mata and Sprong together to try to get the best return? I mean, it depends on the return we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I could I could see something like that happening. I think you could flip Carl Hagelin to... I, I, I don't want to talk about this. I love Carl Hagelin. I, I do too. I'm a <laughs> huge Carl Hagelin stan, but I think in terms of where he's at on his deal and what he can bring to a higher, I don't want to say contender, but a upper echelon team, I think you could sell them on taking him and get a return. The Penguins are an upper echelon team. They, they are, but if you're also looking to get something... I just think there's a, I just think there's a market for him, period. Yeah, I think... A and there's a, any, a number of teams in a variety of situations yeah, that would... speed, penalty killing... You know who I nice think? I, I don't know. The occasional goal. <laughs> I don't know who I would target from them. I'd have to look over their roster and their system. But I think a team, if if you're any other team in the NHL right now to call for a trade, is Chicago because they're a mess. Yeah. You can always, yes. give, yeah. You can always I mean, give Vancouver a ring. Yeah, and, well, and to go back to Chicago, Stan Bowman fires Quinville, and now it's all on him. So now's the time where you call up for a trade, hoping you might be able to catch him, make a mistake. Yeah. Did you guys see that story? I mean, I'm sure you guys did from uh, Lazarus on the athletic. I did not. They, them saying that there was no bad blood between Bowman and Quinville is the absolute biggest spin zone I've ever seen. That's not surprising. Bowman screwed with him so bad and was looking for any excuse to get rid of him. Yeah. What else we got, Mike? Uh, Tim's second question is, what is your go-to late-night snack? What the hell does Tim get two questions for? <laughs> I like I like Tim. And last time Tim had a question, we kind of ethered him. So Why we did ether? I'll give him right. two. You're sec- That's a good point. Go-to late uh, Hmm. Yo, so do you, Pat, Pat, would you like to answer first and everybody steals your answer? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> Yogurt. Ew. That's an interesting take. I'm, I was going to say frozen. I was going to say frozen Reese cups. <laughs> I mean, I was expecting it to be something like not great for you, but I applaud your commitment to health. I mean, I'm, I could throw fruity pebbles in there. That's a good answer. <laughs> All good right. Answer. Mm, yeah, maybe keep it with cereal. I think I'd go Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Good one. Um, next question is from uh, Hammer. Uh, this is... Uh, has I think this is just going to be a unanimous answer together. Has anything ever been more universally despised than the word moist? Nah, get, get move next next question. <laughs> uh, why would you do that? Honestly, why did you? why would you do something like that? To make you, you uncomfortable. Me. To make you, you uncomfortable. Me. Both of you. 
I didn't say anything. <laughs> no, not you, Matt. <laughs> Who asked the question? Uh, question is from Devin. Oh, I love this one. I saw that. <laughs> now one. that TJ Oshi has died twice in one night, if we ground up his remains and turned them into vape juice, what flavor do you think they would be? I don't know, but what you're telling me is that TJ Oshi leads Jesus and dying and coming back? Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm thinking. Okay, so vape juice. Um, I don't. I'm vape. gonna say cold, cold, cold bathtub water. Oh, Sweaty. Oh my God. No. no. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. God, this is the most disgusting episode we've ever had. <laughs> What would he be? Oh my god. Sweaty gym sock? Like that. It's like the super brown avocado. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's like the avocado you tried to cheat. You tried to keep like for a couple extra days and it was just. It was gone. Oh my god. <sighs> but you really wanted chips. And, and then you have chips with nothing to dip them in. Oh. God. Do we have another question? I do. Uh, next question, which is actually our last question, is from Laura. What is your favorite Mike Lang call? That is really tough. But I think as far as Mike Lang's staples go, I would have to go with buy Sam a drink, get his dog one, two. And Kessel gets it to Kessel in the high slot. Mr. A! I feel like my answer, um, I do have a specific answer, but in general, uh, nothing is better than you get in the playoff game when Mike Lang just digs deep and lets it fly. Um, but for a specific answer, I would say Penguins early goal, Mike Lang goes with getting the fast lane, Grandma. The bingo game's ready to roll. Garen's got the puck to Crosby. Rich shot. He shoots and scores. Oh, getting the fast lane, Grandma. The bingo game is ready to roll. I'm not going to go into catchphrases. Okay. All right. So I'm going to take you back to April 2nd, 1988. So we're talking like prime Mike Lang, okay? Like this guy is like established. People are like getting really into him and he's like uh, becoming like a show in and of himself, right? So it's like the zenith of, of Mike Lang. So the Penguins go into their final game of the regular season and this ended up being one of the tightest playoff races in the history of the National Hockey League where you had the Rangers, the Penguins, and the Devils. Um, essentially, uh, the Rangers a point behind and the Devils and the Penguins tied. Um, the Devils with a game in hand. So, uh, and the Rangers with uh, one left, Penguins with one left, Devils with two. So the Penguins play um, one night uh, against the Capitals and the Devils have the Islanders. Okay, same time, right? 
So the cap center is tracking the score of the devil's game all night long. Cause it's obviously, you know, what, what happens there is important for the penguins. And this game, by the way, between the capitals, and the penguins, the penguins, now if they tie, by the way, they're good unless the Rangers and, or the devils were to, you know, pick up points in their final games. So they would need help essentially. If they win in regulation, they still might not be 100% good, but it's, you know, they're at least in a much better position. The Penguins at one point are leading this game 4-1, by the way. Okay. Uh, then that lead completely evaporates. <laughs> they have to start all over again. Uh, it gets back up 5-3. Um, and then um, the Capitals storm back, tie it at, at 5-5. Long story short, uh, it's 6-6. Six, six. <laughs> okay. Typical... Like 1988 Penguins, like Z, like peak 88 Penguins. Six, Gotta love six, 80s hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, especially for them, right? So the Capital Center shows during – we're going to overtime here, okay? The Capital Center shows that the Devils have just won 5-2 on the, on the island. So obliterate the Islanders. Now a tie is no longer acceptable, right? Because they're, they're, they're now two points behind the Devils. Pierre Cremer, who didn't speak English all that well and was the coach at the time, uh, he's convinced that a tie is good, <laughs> right? So this game's an overtime. <laughs> this game's an overtime. And he's like, no, 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 we're fine, right? But he's not taking into consideration the fact that the Devils just won the game, right? Now, uh, because remember, not very, as far as English speaking is concerned, you know, not the best. He and Lemieux get into this argument in French, okay? <laughs> like on the bench. And and I think, you know, Lemieux obviously speaking in French because now he's trying to really get through to him. Everyone eventually assumes, yes, we need to pull the goalie, right? We got to go for the win. So in overtime, the Penguins pull the goaltender. Um, empty net, game on the line. Um, perfect setup for Mario Lemieux. This is where he thrives, right? Now this, this is undoubtedly... The, the best Mario Lemieux goal you've never you've never seen, I guarantee you. Because what happened after this, right? Um, the Penguins obviously are going to win this game. You're going to hear them the Lemieux goal. Uh, they go home the next night and beat the Hartford Whalers. So they're they're looking they're sitting pretty right. That same night, the Devils win in overtime against Chicago. Um, the Rangers end up winning and Pierre Cremer gets fired. <laughs> uh, so the reason nobody remembers this is because they didn't make the playoffs. So at the end of the day, you know, it, it what did it matter? Um, but just to kind of describe what's happening here, um, there's about a minute left in the game and you can hear Mike Lang at the beginning of the clip say, you can't score if you can't get the puck out of your own net. Like Mike Lang <laughs> Basic assessment of what's happening, uh, guys. <laughs> like been, at this point, the Penguins had been in their own zone for like a two-minute stretch, and there's, by the way, no goalie. So, like, you know, this this is a problematic situation. So, Larry, uh, Mary Lemieux just uh, comes back into the defensive zone, takes this thing, and is going to town. Period. It's it's over. Um, he comes up one on one with Larry Murphy, um, and Lemieux throws the puck, kind of across Murray's feet, turns on the Jets, goes around them. 
Um, Murphy makes a dive, sprawls out to try to take Lemieux's legs, and he does. He knocks him over. And, and while Lemieux is landing on his back, he takes the puck and flips it right past Clint Malarchuk. <laughs> most easiest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. And, and I think, you know, people always talk about the goal against the North Stars and, you know, uh, uh, yeah, the North Stars goal, uh, the, the one that they made a statue of against the Islanders, the, the uh, Chicago one uh, where they complete the comeback in game one. There's always like iconic goals. But for me, none of them were better than this. None of them. Because it showcased everything that Lemieux could do. The hands, the speed, the size, the relentlessness, the, the sheer will to take the game over because the whole play starts, you know, um, in the defensive zone and he just is like, no, screw you guys, I'm out of here. <laughs> and, uh, Penguins can't get it out of their own end. You can't pull him when you've got a situation like this. Around it comes to Bodger with a minute five to go. 6-6 six, six the score here in the third. Lead pass to Lemieux. Lemieux now coming down the left wing. Cuts for the net. Lemieux's in. His backhand shot. Score! Stop the press! Mario Lemieux beats Malarchuk, and the Penguins win it 7-6. to six. I'm, out of, I'm out of words. I'm out of words. Lemieux has won it for the Penguins. They're still alive. How he did it, I'll never know, but he beats Malarchuk. Four-goal night for Mario, and the Penguins win with 58 seconds to go in overtime, and you would have to be here to believe it. Really painted a picture for us on that one, man. That was great. Yeah, and and it it means something because how many times has Mike Wayne, like, failed to have adequate words to describe a situation? Never. Like, it's just, yeah. And you're talking about a guy who's in the Hall of Fame. The catchphrases are great, but nobody could paint a picture like he could. Um, You know, and just give you that. And that, I think that's why we in Pittsburgh people appreciate playoff hockey so much is because the brevity of it. You, you always get, you know, like Mike said, like that buildup um, and, and that sort of foundation gets laid, you know, to kind of um, set the tone for the whole thing. Yeah, like I think the the Nick Bonino goal in game one against the Sharks in the 2016 final gets overlooked by Mike Lang because of the – Punjabi call from Hockey Night in Canada. Mm. That kind of that kind of goal where there's a minute left in the game and he just lets it fly because because he understands the the situation and how big of a game it is, how much time is left, and he knows when to when to re- dial it back and when to let it go. And, and I think he also knows when to not talk at all. Yeah, and that that's more of I guess a TV appropriate thing. This this is more back in the KBL days because when you're in radio, you kind of have to tell people what's going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I, I mentioned to you guys a couple weeks ago that uh, I had a story um, about an elevator incident. Um, I, I'd like to tell that now if that's okay. Yeah, I don't see that. All right, so, so Rich Miller and I, right, of, of formerly a Penn's blog, now in retirement. Um, enjoying, Penguins, his, enjoying his fireball, his pickup <laughs> truck, and some Luke Bryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am completely novice at having a press credential at this point, right? So this is like way back in the day. And um, I went and the pregame meals were always, they're always the best. They do do a really good job. So I go up, I, I am eating. I, I'm pleased to see Rich because he's like, in, you know, I felt like we were on the same tier there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you always find the like-minded individuals. So um, I was hanging out with Rich and we go and we, we hit the button. You have to take an elevator up to the press level. 
um, and we hit the button and the, the elevator on the left hand side comes down. This is relatively early in the console energy days, by the way. Uh, elevator comes down, we get in it. There's uh, an elevator attendant that, that helps you. Uh, we get in and it hits the button to go up to the media floor and the elevator goes down. Um, problem is, is that there's like, it stops like three quarters of the way and the, well, I don't know. It, the, anyway, it, the door got stuck essentially. Um, and Mike Lang had to pull Rich and I out of the elevator. <laughs> and we're standing in the elevator, the other elevator on the way up, right? Dead silent. Riding the elevator up. Mike Lang gets on the elevator with us. Riding the elevator up. And Mike Lang says, boys, you don't ever get in the left elevator. <laughs> I was like, I know that. Like, you know, I was like, shame. And like, he said it in such a funny, helpful way. Like, hey, guys, like, don't ever do that again. And then he like commented on how, like, they've had an elevator truck there for so long. And nobody can figure that elevator out. And, like, the way he told the story about the elevator, you're just, like, enthralled. You're like, yeah, yeah. And then what happened? You know, like. It was, it was, uh, it's like it's like you were listening to the radio as part of a pregame. It, it just was the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. Oh my god! Yeah, he and one thing that I love about Mike Lang, and I didn't really realize this until the Penguins' fiftieth documentary came out, is how good of a memory he has. Because oh, when no, they absolutely no, he could tell you. I mean, he could tell you about a specific goal. I mean, you pick a game when and he'll get when they were going through the '92 Cup and specifically the Game One comeback. And he talks about his goal call on Lemieux's goal to take the lead. His memory of it was incredible, but it was more that you can tell this guy all these years later still has that almost childlike enthrallment of the game. Yeah, it's about the game. That's that the, the game is the basis of it. And the game, you know, he just has a knack. He has a knack of saying, this always happens in this situation. And, and you, the quirky nuances, the ebbs and flows of the game, the peaks and valleys of the season even. Even in a playoff series. You know, if you ever want – you always knew a game was important – but Mike Lang had a way of making you feel good about the important games. Yeah, I also, uh, to pivot off a little bit on this, I always joke that I've been to some really bad Penguins playoff games Ooh, yeah, over so the nice. years. The the saving voice, you're, you're, you get in the car after the game, and you're like, man, that was rough. Bob Grove keeps you at peace on the drive home. He does. Makes you feel like you're okay. I, it's the same, same, same level, same kind of, same kind of guy, same kind of perspective. Yeah, well, I mean, Bob Grove, obviously, you know, in a different position now, but um, point taken. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think Mets does a good job of that too. Mets is really good. Yeah, I think Mets does a phenomenal job of that. Um, he's he's got that same, and Mets. Met, that's the thing is like Mets was around when it was bad. You know, I, I, that changes it for me. Like Metz was around and was like writing, you know, for his own for his own blog back then when nobody cared what the Penguins were doing. You know, it was just nobody gave a crap. It was the X generation type stuff. You know, that's how that's that's how Metz got started. So I think he always has an appreciation for how good things are now. Um, and I think it comes through in, in how he talks about his team on the radio. I also think um, overall that 
um, keeps me from getting too hot about these teams. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you one other thing, too. When the Penguins lost to the New Jersey Devils, and this meant a lot to me because at the time I might have been 17. Um, you know, so you're like an emotional, like, emo teenager at this point. Oh, you live so, and die with everything the team does. Uh, yeah, you had an unbridled passion. Um, and the Penguins, you know, they, they upset – uh, you know, they beat the Capitals. They they go through the Capitals. Marty Straka in overtime against Sergey Gonchar. Um, they go through the uh, Sabers in dramatic Game Seven fashion, and then they just get trounced by the Devils. I mean, they just got absolutely shat on. It was embarrassing. And uh, the um, by the way, that wasn't Marty Straka. I don't think that was the same year. I take that back. Anyway, regardless, the point is when the season's over, and this is Mike Lang and Eddie Olchek, by the way. When the season's over, the future of the team is really in doubt. You know, and we forget about that now, but at this point, this broadcast is ending with a legitimate uncertainty as to whether or not the team will play in the city again. Right? I mean, real real life stuff here. And Mike Lang gave like a farewell address. I can't find it anywhere. But he, I, I remember he started with, this is indeed our last time watching hockey together. And I was like, oh, you know, it's devastating stuff. Um, but that's, that's how much he meant. You know, and I often say this, and I really mean it. Um, I don't know that I'd care as much about this game if I hadn't grown up in a situation without Mike Lang. No, I mean, and how many times as a kid, whether it was knee hockey, driveway hockey, ball hockey, wherever – that you scored a goal, whether it was against people or just playing by yourself, that you didn't say something that Mike Lang had you had heard him say on the radio. Or oh, TV. no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, no absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like growing up, for me, you know, the Capitals, almost similar to the way it is now, you know, the Capitals are the team the Penguins played every year. Seven, the Penguins made the playoffs 11 years in a row and played the Capitals seven, uh, beat the Capitals seven out of those 11 years. That's crazy. Um, so growing up, you know, I always pr- pretended I was playing against the Pavankas and, you know, Bondras and uh, Chris Simons of the world. Um, <laughs> and you, you were busting out Mike Lang phrases when you scored. I mean, Mike Lang created, he shoots and scores. Yeah. That's Mike, Mike, that's like, you know, that justifies the man being in the Hockey Hall of Fame alone. But, you know, as an adult, I think back to growing up watching Mario Lemieux and, and I still think of him you know, from my childhood days of being this superhuman, larger-than-life character, and, and that's because of Mike Lang. It wasn't just the things that Mario was doing that made him unique. It was the person that was describing them simultaneously. Yeah, I think that's a, a good place to leave Mike yeah, Lang talk. That's a good exclamation point to put on it. Yeah. And I also want to make an addendum that I'm not sure it was Rich Miller that was in the elevator with me. Uh, it may have been Jimmy Rixner. Mike, <laughs> <laughs> you're... I will. I'll, I will have to. I'll, yeah, uh, we'll have to get a clear. I'll check. For, I'll check for confirmation on that, and we'll come back next week. Yeah, well, I'll have to text Rich. But uh, uh, anyway, the Steelers were getting uh, punched in the face by the Panthers, but it's now fourteen to seven after Vince Williams uh, pick six. Uh, so that's a fourteen seven game there. Uh, I can mention, uh, Mike, that West Ham United did defeat Burnley uh, by the score of four to two on Saturday. So I'm back. Baby. You know what? You know what? I didn't. I actually knew that. Um, while you did not like his question, uh, Hammer and I were golfing on Sunday, and he mentioned to me that West Ham actually won a game. Yeah. Well, it's like seeing a unicorn these days. So you got to take them what you can get them. <laughs> Anybody got anything they want to plug? 
No, not particularly. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got an article about goaltending tomorrow. Goaltending. Yep. Goaltending. Bad? My column. <laughs> <laughs> My take. Um, no, seriously, though, uh, appreciate uh, the listens, appreciate the questions, especially uh, and the good comments on Twitter. Uh, a lot of you have taken to making the fact that you're listening to this podcast uh, a part of your Instagram story, and we greatly appreciate that. Keep that up. Uh, maybe we can make that a thing. Who knows? We don't We don't really have a thing here. So help us find one. Just Yeah, it is, it is nice to see that people make listening every week a usual thing. And actually, I get questions from people asking when we're going to be recording, and that's pretty cool. The only thing I've committed to longer than this in my life is breathing. <laughs> Boy, I I'm sure hope your wife isn't in the room. I, you know, yeah. Actually, I'm kidding. Yeah, that's the number one thing. Um, but I don't. Uh, I have a penchant. Rich and I, you know, we just never did shows, but uh, the interaction from you guys makes it fun. So thanks again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Seriously, thanks to everybody that listens. Uh, also, thanks to you guys because this is one of the more fun parts of my week. <laughs> That's it. This is the end of the show now. Bye. <laughs> See, you. See you guys.